thanks a lot for coming on here. I appreciate it. I know you're you're still active duty, and um, sometimes guys are apprehensive about doing that just because, um, you know, they're still doing the job. But um, we've had, had some guys on here that are active duty, and uh, I want to say thanks for coming on because I think it's important to hear, like, current stories too, not just, like, uh, history stuff. I think it's good to hear about what you've done but also, like, what you're doing. So, um, again, thanks a lot for coming on. I appreciate it. And um, uh, I see that you're uh, up on an early Sunday like I am, so that, yeah. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. yeah. Um, I've got no issues waking up early. Yeah, yeah, days, I, so. me neither. I, I was fine with it. Yeah, I was like, yeah, that's a good idea. Actually, a good idea. Um, so, uh, yeah, so um, we kind of start off with um, you know your background and where you how you started um, uh, before the military. What kind of prompted you to join the military, and then uh, we kind of go from there. So, yeah, feel free to uh, let us know about all that stuff. Cool. All right. Well, thanks, JD. Uh, yeah, initially I was a little um, concerned. Uh, like you said, just being active duty, but realize I'm probably not going to go on to any other uh, cool secret assignments. So uh, yeah, it'd be nice to share with some of your listeners uh, my background. So I've been in the military 18 years. I joined in 2004. Um, uh, initially, I went in as a SEER candidate. Um, some of the SEER guys here at work, um, I don't know if they find that funny or not, but yeah, so initially I, um, it sounded appealing. Um, they had advertisements for TACP and CCT, but I was like, wow, they had an opening right away. So I, I joined SEER, um, and I didn't make it through the, uh, I made it to the second to last day of assessment. It was the cadre who, who me, I think is the, oh yeah, this is my obligatory. Is that supposed to, yeah, that's the, yeah. <laughs> right, right. I, I, uh, it's never you. Exactly. Yeah. I was, <laughs> I was terrific. No, I, I had, I had a lot of trouble, um, sewing. I had a lot of trouble. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Big surprise. So usually, that's funny because usually it's like, oh, I couldn't do the pull-ups or I couldn't run or I couldn't swim. And you're like, no, I just couldn't figure out that sewing part. No, no, yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah the guys will tell you here, but it's it's, uh, it's like six six stitches per inch and it has to be a locking stitch. So. Wow, yeah. I, yeah, it was, uh, I just couldn't get it. I, I could teach. And physically, I was, I was good. You know, I was okay, but. Uh, also I think like maturity wise, like I wasn't, I wasn't there. So, and I noticed a difference, uh, between the guys that they would allow to come back in, like, Hey, we'll just recycle you versus me. They're like, uh, you got to go. Oh, so, really? Yeah. Yeah. I was like, all right. How so, old were you back then? Did you come in when you were 18 or were you older? I was, I was 20. Yeah. Oh, okay. 20. Yeah. So I had, I guess we should kind of going back. Like my dad was, uh, air force and his dad was air force. Oh, okay. So I had, I had made the determination not to join the air force or not to join the military early on. Okay. Uh, yeah. It's kind of strange. I was like, uh, I'm going to be a college student and just elevate myself above this. Um, and I went to two years of te technical school and I didn't do well. Like I was sleeping in my classes and then, uh, you know, people want to hear like it was a patriotic thing or like I wanted to stand up for my country and it just, it turned out to be just something that, uh, not a last resort, but like kind of, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I, I kind of was in the same boat. I didn't, I didn't want to go to college. You know, I, I didn't, you know, there was no jobs out there right when I was trying to come in. So I, I know what you mean. Yeah. It's like, Hey, the military, you get, you know, it's a good opportunity. They give you three hots and a cot and you know, it's a, it's a nice fallback for sure. <laughs> yeah. My dad, man. So my mom was like really disappointed. Uh, just, you know, all mothers to see their kids go off into the military, especially, you know, the, 
the war on terror had been going on for what, three years. So, you know, she's like, you're going to get deployed. So my dad was, was pretty excited about it, obviously. So, you know, fast forward, uh, I didn't make it through Sear. Oh, this is, this is interesting. So the job that I did end up going into, typically when you get kicked out of some of those assessment and selections, the, you go straight to, a, to be a security forces guy. Um, oh, right, right. Yeah, that was like the typical thing. So um, the Sunday after I got washed out, uh, I'm not really religious. I grew up religious, but I decided to go to church that day. First time ever. It was weird. The pastor, who was the security forces commander, you know, asked asked every in the, the congregation, who's new here? So I, I was the only one to stand up. I said, hey, I'm new. I've uh, never been here. I just got washed out of Sear, so I'm just kind of unsure where my future lies. And he said, all right, well, I'll be seeing you in a few weeks. And I was like, yeah, man. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, there's a there's a moment. Uh, okay, if you, everyone take the next few minutes. Introduce yourselves to your neighbors. See how they're doing. And uh, the commander of the 344th Training Squadron, which is enlisted air crew, came up to me and he said, you know, if you want to be something other than a the cop, you come see me Monday morning. And sure enough, I came and saw him. Um, he interviewed two people that day, something about me he liked. It's like, just maybe just standing up in that crowd and, you know, willing to be vulnerable. He's like, yeah, I'll, I'll help you out. And he helped me out. He got me like a class three flight physical, which is really hard yeah. and basic. And, you know, I started, I think the next month to be a, a, a loadmaster. Load oh, right on. Yeah. How'd that yeah. go? Um, I was not a good student in high school. I was not a good student in college, but I wanted, uh, something clicked in my head where I wanted to be the best, uh, student. So, man, I studied my ass off. Um, I don't know. It was just a weird feeling going through that sort of tech school. Um, but it, it went great. Yeah. You know, I got, the um, I got the platform that I wanted. I wanted the C-130. Nice. And, uh, I got, uh, I wanted to be closer to special operations even though i wasn't doing it per se yeah, yeah. so i i volunteered to do the the rescue um variant which was at the time part of asoc okay so, yeah so i and then i went to um jacksonville arkansas little rock <laughs> air force base for nine months and that was a that was a treat um <laughs> uh, i uh i had a um, squadron commander, or he was the tech school commander at the time, um, run into me a few years later after I became TACB, and he's like, oh, man, I'm surprised you're still in the military, Fullwood. Oh. Anyway. Why? What, what, was, <laughs> what was the deal with that? I was I was the guy who was, like, perpetually on, you know, you remember phases? Yeah. I don't think you had to, yeah. So I was the guy who was, like, perpetually on phase one. Oh, I always okay. had to wear my uniform. I was always in trouble. And uh, me and a friend um, got rowdy in, a, in the bowling alley on base, and they called the police. Um, and so as we're running out of the bowling alley, the police are storming in. And so we're giggling all the way back to the, uh, <laughs> the barracks, and we start wrestling. And for some reason, he pulled out a knife, and he uh, cut my hand, and he stabbed me in my leg. What? And, yeah. This weird. is your buddy? Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh my God, I, I have no. <laughs> to this day, I don't know why he did. He's he was pretty drunk, but yeah, so I we, probably some day. Hey man, I was wasted. I was like, hey man, 
you, you stabbed me pretty good. And we both stand up and look down at my leg, and the blood just goes through my jeans. Oh, no. Yeah, so I had to go to the emergency room. So that was like an alcohol-related incident, and the commander, he remembers that, that you know, I oh, got yeah. sent back in training. So. Um, yeah, even though it wasn't your fault, they still look. They still they still frown on it because you were drunk. So like anything alcohol related, regardless of what it, you could you could be a total victim. But since you were drunk, they they look bad. Yeah, yeah that's you should have kind of a bad way. Not stabbed, been stabbed. I don't know. Yeah, you should have been in that situation life. or whatever. Yeah, whatever. Uh, yeah. So, but I, I made it. Um, so Arkansas was like kind of your general overall loadmaster school. You. You learn how to pre-flight the aircraft, do weight and balance, um, load the aircraft. I struggled. I struggled. It, it seems pretty simple to do. Um, I had trouble with that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you got you mean like loading uh, like pallets and uh, vehicles yeah. and stuff? Or... Yeah. Okay. The airdrop stuff was good. Uh, but yeah, loading, loading the pallets, making sure they're coming in straight, and then um, hooking up the parachutes for airdrop stuff. Uh, but, I, you know, I made it. And then the follow-on school for, for AFSOC, uh, like the MC-130s um, and then the HC-130s was in Albuquerque. So I spent six months in Albuquerque oh, right on. Doing, doing training. Um, so graduated there. And then I my first duty station was Moody Air Force Base. Um, uh, did Spent two years there. I did a deployment out of there. So you had the option. You could do 30, 60, or 90-day deployments um, at the at the time, I don't know how you got to choose. I, you know, I wanted to stay. I wanted the experience. I was a senior airman at the time. Okay. So I did three months in Djibouti, Africa. Nice. Yeah, it was cool. That's uh, a different location than most uh, most people go to. Yeah. Uh, I think the Navy had been there for for a very long time. Yeah. Camp Camp Lemonier, and they did like year year rotations there, which uh, at at the time you could drink. You, could, you mean like when you say navy, you mean like soft navy or just regular navy guys? Just yeah. Okay. Regular swabbies. They had uh, uh, navy guys. They had marines. I didn't see many army dudes there. Okay. Um. Now, now it's pretty common. I think that the ST guys have been going there for for decades. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but you could drink there. You could go downtown. Uh. Yeah. How was that? Um. It, it, it seems right. like they'd be a little hairy. <laughs> I, man, I didn't know. I didn't know any better. Yeah. Like, oh, well, yeah. Okay. I'd have done the same thing, especially yeah. as an E4. Forget it. Oh, you can drink downtown. The I think we've talked about this, but the Navy guys would like stay overnight at some of the the bordellos. Yeah, that's bad and... business, man. <laughs> that's you're rolling the dice. Yeah, exactly. Oh my god. Yeah, living living a little risky. Um, yeah. So I didn't do that. I I like did uh, snorkeling trips. It was like really cush. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, but occasionally we would. We, I think we would fly um, twice a week. We'd try to fly twice a week, and um, occasionally we'd have dudes um, get on here because we were the rescue variant. So I was I was used to dropping PJs um, free fall most of the time, right? But a couple times they'd do static line. But I I, I was. We were trained to do airdrop just like every other loadmaster, so that was it was always a highlight. But occasionally in Djibouti, we would get these dudes that come on the aircraft in civilian clothes, big beards, um, free fall rigs, and <laughs> I was always kind of set back by the, what you know their persona. 
uh, I just I wanted to do what they were doing. And they, sure. And they, they uh they worked in behind beside behind a fenced in area and see through the fence. Yeah. <laughs> so I I never know to this day who they were. I I have some. Uh, you can probably guess. Yeah. 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 So um, the only highlights from that trip, other than getting to work with those guys, was <sighs> we never we never did it, but there was a mission um, to refuel some helicopters who were picking up people in Somalia. And then we would refuel the helicopters after they picked up the asset in Somalia. Oh, cool. we, yeah, we never did it, but <laughs> cool to take your part. It was a cool thing that you could have done, almost done that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. So, okay, so it was a deployment. We were deployed. Did you do? Was it like a lot of real world stuff, or was it was it mostly just kind of training stuff for the guys who were operating in that area, or mm-hmm. or just were you kind of on call for like any kind of thing that would happen or something like that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so the the rescue variant uh, will refuel has um has drogue hoses that come out of the wing. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, we're there, we were there to respond to any of the Navy aircraft that went down, possibly in the okay. doing doing their missions around the Horn of Africa. Right. Uh, and we were a rescue bird. A couple times we were asked to do fly to a certain area and do left hand circles. Um, I think we were trying to um, imitate another aircraft. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. uh, that's what they said. Oh, yeah. But, <laughs> I wonder which one that would be, flying in circles. Yeah, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, I have no no clue. <laughs> and it, Probably no, kept people I'll, indoors, I tell you that. And I'm sure that yeah. people were like less apt mm-hmm. to go out on the street and mess with our guys. So Yeah. that's I, Whoever thought of it was, was smart. I mean, we looked just, just like it, the same yeah, yeah. just a few extra parts. But So we were we were there to rescue. We didn't, I didn't do any, I didn't transport people. Uh, we didn't transport cargo. We were there to assist with uh, with rescue. So okay, cool. No, I didn't rescue anybody. So okay, <laughs> right on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but but during that deployment, I knew I wanted to cross train. Um, just jumping PJs over the years, and you know, uh, I would see them get jocked up um, behind the aircraft with their rucksacks and their their fake weapons and their chest racks. I was like, I want to, I want to do something. I want to contribute more. So during that deployment, I put in my cross training package. Was that for training. tech B at that time? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I got, I, I don't know how many of your people you've interviewed before have talked about romad.com. Um, uh, yeah. I don't think we touched on it really there. I think J, uh, JT and I talked about it a little bit. Um, but, uh, but no, yeah, go ahead, please. It, that was kind of a, a great wealth of knowledge. There used to be a lot of traffic on there. I haven't been on there in a, in a while, but yeah, that used to be like that message board was pretty, pretty hot all the time. Yeah. That was like the hub. And that's what, you know, you pull it up and you see Pathfinder wings, you Ranger tab, your air assault badge, uh, hey, hey. jump wings. So I'm like, Oh, I want to do all that. I want right. to, you know, sniper <laughs> school. So like, um, and that was the only source of information I, I had at the time. I think maybe mm-hmm. MySpace was going on, but I wasn't a big Facebook guy or, or it just wasn't, they didn't have the resources they have now to sure that. So, yep. So I was like, that's what I want to do. I put in my package and then I had my contract for the air force was coming up. I, I redeployed back to Moody air force base and my contract, I was a, well, no, I was a six year enlistee, but I had spent so much time in, in basic tech school. And so my contract was coming due and, and I still hadn't heard back from the cross training folks. So, uh, but uh, man, who was it? I don't know if, if I did speak with, um, he's about to retire. 
um, Stu, I won't use his last name. He's about to retire. He'd be a great guy to interview. I'll, I'll kind of go back. So, yeah, so I redeployed, um, and then I was close to the end of my contract. It was a six-year contract. That's what it was, yeah. And, That's then, I, and then I eventually I started freaking out because I hadn't heard whether or not I was going to be able to cross-train. Call down to the schoolhouse. Um, Stu answers. Um, and he's like, don't worry, man. Don't worry. Here's what you bring. <laughs> I, I, or no, I, and I eventually found out that I was accepted, but I had to leave in two weeks to go down to the schoolhouse to, to Florida. And I didn't know what to bring. I, I, I no packing list or anything like yeah. that. First time. So I called down there and she was like, what? You're coming two weeks. Don't worry, man. Here's what you do. And he like <laughs> laid it all out and made me feel a lot better. So I, oh, good. Uh, uh, May. Yeah. May of 2008. I drove to Herbert Field, Florida, to start tech school. Yeah. Um, they put you in the in the really crappy dorms when yeah. you first got there, um, and then they shark you. Or you had, yeah, you get your you get your PT uniforms. I, I don't think we ever got. We must have been issued equipment, and then they shark you. Um, Explain what sharking is. I don't, I don't oh, know if everybody knows what that. Yeah, so it's, JT uh, mentioned it too, but I, I I don't know if everybody knows what that is. So yeah, okay. feel free to. I think sharking or sharking is the tack fee term for an extended training day okay. or a, a, a way to gut check or weed out the people who want to quit, which seems silly because you, you made all the effort to cross. Well, maybe it was for like the basic trainees who maybe just signed up, came to tech school straight out of basic or, or whoever. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's basically yeah. Like, a, like a smoke session. Like they just PT you until somebody yeah. quits or yeah. 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 Yeah, they PT you. Yeah, extended training day is like a nice way to put it so you don't think you're being hazed. <laughs> right. But yeah, so you wake up super early, 2, 3 in the morning, and then you run. Uh, you do grass and gorillas, which is another term for like just a lot of calisthenics, grass and gorillas. Yeah. And then they try to they try to all the tricks um, that you're aware of to, to like mentally beat you down. They don't tell you how far you're running. Yeah. Or they're like, Okay, they kind of you do a double time, or you, you'd run fast in formation, and then you are okay, and then they go back to marching, and then they do double time again, like you think it was over, and oh. <laughs> uh, and then all right, guys, this was the the morning shift. We're switching out. Here comes the, the afternoon shift. Good luck, fellas. And you're just like, ah, oh my god, <laughs> who wants to quit? And you yeah, you remember the dock? There was a other side of herbert there was that the sound and they had a dock and i i remember yeah they would have everyone face down and um on the dock and if you want to quit you know raise your leg and oh we got one there oh there's another one or you know um, I, nobody knows who, who quit there was uh, there was only one brian murray dang it I, he's got to be retired now brian murray was one of my instructors yeah, yeah. Um, and he good dude PTC. real good dude He's so he he was a guy in in the book and talked about removing some guys too, just the weird stuff you get asked to, or, or the things that you like, you have confidence in doing because of what the job brings you. you know, right. I don't know how to do this, but I'll I'll step up and anyway. For sure. He he led our team. We had just been through field, which is the next to last phase before you start to graduate. But we we had finished field. I'm kind of skipping ahead a little bit here, but he ran us through a PT session that I'll never forget in my life. That was it was rough? Fun. Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, I don't know if I was like full of myself, like uh, like uh, this is going to be easy. 
um, I've got it in the bag. I'm going to graduate. But they had these old Vietnam flak vest that they'd make us put on. And then they had this weighted, it was like a big pipe, um, really long pipe. And it had chains um, all up and down it at different intervals to allow people to stagger on either side and grab the chains. And you'd run with this pipe with the flak vest on. And Okay. I don't know how far we ran. We ran a really long way, and the, it was—I don't know—mentally, I didn't—I didn't want to quit, but I, I, that'll always stand out as like one of the hardest PT sessions ever. Um, th- everyone's throwing up. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I don't know. It was really tough. <laughs> That's the one I remember. Everything else was was hard, but um, that one always stands out. Running with that big pipe with the flak vest on, helmet, kit. Um, I don't know if it was hot, like super hot that day, or maybe I wasn't mentally in the right spot, but, um, yeah. Brian yeah, Murray. you could have been having a bad day or, you know, could have just been like, I mean, it was towards the end. So, you know, you're, you get those thoughts in your head, like, man, do I need to do this? Is, is this for me really? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but he was, he was really cool. I and mean, you know, I was, I was senior airman at the time, super nervous to, to talk to him. Um, Brown was his last name. He's he's Ranger Tab guy, man. And we had a dude named his first name was Lindsey. Uh, all all the instructors, phenomenal. They they played the role right. The instructors have to play that that persona and that role. But after sure. you graduate, uh, or you see him later on in your career, you know you realize that he's just normal person. And and they're always uh, super super nice to us and gave sure. a lot of good advice. But Th- those are the those are the, that kind of first kicked off my impression of what TACPs could do or what type of men they were, uh, and it was a solid solid impression of because uh, every one of my instructors had been a part of SOF. I think that's what it was. Like, yeah, they had done either rotation with Ranger or with SF, so added a lot of credibility to what they were telling us and what they're sure telling us, so. sure sure. Um, yeah, graduated tech school. And then signed out of Moody and drove, ruined my truck, hauling all my stuff. But I drove from. Uh, oh, so Moody wait a minute. Airport. So you you went to, okay. So so the cross trainee, you went from you drove down there kind of like TDY to go to tech school. Yeah. Essentially, okay. Because like a lot of us, when we like we first came in to go to tech school, you know that was our that was our duty assignment. So we just PCS there. But you okay? So you went to Moody, you went from Moody down there, and then you went back and packed all your stuff, and then. Yeah. Move to you. Where's your first duty assignment? I was at Fort Carson. Okay. Um, Colorado. Yeah. 13th ASOS, which was, <clears throat> I didn't know it at the time, but a phenomenal um, assignment based mostly on the people that were there, like currently, or had been there for maybe a year or two. Yeah. So, so I drive, I can't remember. Um, he's, he's out of the military now. Dallas Pipes was my, his great, great name. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Is his real name? <laughs> yeah, yeah. His real name is Dallas Pipes. So you're thinking like this fucking huge studly dude, but pro uh, wrestler or something. Yeah, average, <laughs> average looking guy. He's a realtor now. Okay. Uh, Dallas Pipes was my sponsor. Uh, you know, brings me in. So we set up the first day that I'll show up. And so I'm a senior airman. I I just got my beret. I, I don't have any all I have is tech school and I, you know, yeah. loadmaster. So I show up. And they say, hey, meet here at Butts Army Airfield. A lot of innuendos you can throw around. Dallas Pipes, Butts Army Airfield. But anyway, <laughs> I show up there. 13th ASOS had 
relocated, I think about a year ago to, to out to the airfield and they had, um, they had office space in the hangar with the OH 58 deltas that nice. they had office space on the second floor and it was shitty. It was oh. terrible. <laughs> it was run down. I don't know when it was built. It was kind of like the T-Dome here, like built in the fifties. And uh -huh. they're just like, uh, you guys have this hall. So it, anyway, I'm, I'm going in the commander's office. So you were like, I can only imagine what you were thinking. Like coming from a, like a flying squadron in the air force yeah. usually has some pretty good stuff, you know, if not the best. Uh, and so you went from that to an old, the old school tech P where the way we used to be it was like yeah. run down. Yeah. I, it was on an army post. Yeah. On an army post. I was like, well, this is how it's going to be. I, maybe I liked it. Maybe I, uh, it's probably well, like a cool change. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm doing gritty. Yeah. yeah. I'm like tough now. <laughs> yeah. So I show up and, uh, man, crunk. Um, do you know him? Who is it? What's it? Crunk. Uh, that's, that's what he goes by. Um, no, I don't think so. He's in the office ahead of me. I sh I'm showing up with all my paperwork and crunk is man. He's like six foot five, just a giant of a man. And he is in between, uh, in between schools. Cause he was trying out to, she's trying to cross her into CCT. Okay. So I'm standing in the office with this giant of a man talking about having to go to, I don't know if it was airborne school or air traffic control school or something like that. I'm like, oh man, what did I get myself into? <laughs> just, uh, just super intimidating. I was like, oh, yeah, just trying to, trying to get the job done. Uh, but, but some of the people that I got to inter got to interact with there over my five years kind of really set the tone for what sort of tech P and JTEC I was going to be. And, what I wanted to aspire to. Yeah. I'm trying to think. I don't think there's anyone now, especially with um, Barbie um, getting out recently. Yep. Yep. So I had guys like um, uh, Brett Barbie, uh, Nishimoto, Cam Rollison, um, TB, who's, who's still active duty. Um, dang it, I can't think of his name. Uh, Alex Royal, who's out now, um, but all of those guys. Solid guys. Yeah, man. Yeah. So those are all the guys solid who guys. training me or um, Brett Barbie. He had been to several shooting courses and we weren't doing anything. So he like he gathered everybody up and did an impromptu uh, two day shooting course in the wintertime in Colorado. Man, nice. Really cool. <laughs> um, you know, never my wild. I don't know. I just was just impressed at their drive and motivation and, and intelligence. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that kind of set the tone um, of where I, where I knew I wanted to be. Um, but but yeah, I got there in, I think August of 2008 and I had time to get a combat mission ready. Um, certified with, he's out now, but his name was uh, Scott O'Doherty. He was my trainer. Mm -hmm. uh, so I got CMR. Uh, do you remember your CMR check ride? Not really. Um, uh, I know it was pretty extensive, but um, but yeah, that was a that was a while ago. I, I heard horror stories about it from from the JTEC that I was paired up with, uh, ha having to rewire the Jerk Twenty Six was the, was the huge Humvee radio. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it has about uh, hundred wires in your gas mask or in your Mop Four gear. 
say that. I mean, I never did in pro gear, but we we did that quite a bit. Like we, they would just like they'd walk in, and uh, for those who don't know, the, the the there's it's a pallet of radios. There's like four or five radios, and they have cables everywhere. And what they would do is they'd walk in and they would just take all the cables off and just let them hang. And then you had to like go in there and figure out. And, and a lot of them were, were kind of easy because they could only fit in one place. But some of them had like um, were like maybe the same connection or something. But yeah, it was it was challenging. I mean, and yeah. I mean, it was it was a daunting task for sure. Yeah. I know. Is I, that what you kind of experienced? Or no, that's what I heard about though. I was like, oh, oh man, I, yours was a little easier. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, okay. Like mentally preparing myself to like do this in Mop Four and push a Humvee, but I don't think my CMR check ride was was all that difficult. Yeah, Sorry, it was a yeah. different time though. I mean, like there was no war going on when I was in, you know. So it was like, you know, we were all just kind of like kind of trying to figure it out. I think, but I think yours was more purpose driven. You know what I mean? Like, you're, like I need to get this guy CMR. I don't need to mess with him. I need him to know this information because he's probably going to combat here pretty soon. You know what I mean? Yeah. So they, maybe that was the, the mentality. Like they could mess with us a lot more because there was no, there's really no stakes. You know, stakes. There, it wasn't yeah. like. If the guy screws it up, big deal. I'll just retrain him. You know, he's not getting ready to go out the door or anything. But yeah. for you, in your situation, yeah, they might have, they might have been like, all right, let's let's do it. let's play it straight. Let's get this guy trained, and that way we'll get him out the door as soon as possible. Maybe. I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, you're, you're I think, I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to mess around. Let's get this guy the knowledge that he needs. Yeah, because shortly, shortly thereafter, I I, uh, I deployed. Um, yeah. First time. Um, I think it was June, June of two thousand nine. I did a six-month deployment to um, Fob Blessing. It's gone through a couple name changes, or yeah, it had gone through a couple name changes. Um, but yeah, June 2009. So like, like in in preparation for that deployment, I got CMR qualified, and then and then we got our assignments because we were they were still sending guys to Iraq at the time. Yeah. But they would sit at the the desk at the brigade headquarters and maybe control. Um, you know, I don't really know what they were doing. Just kind of presence patrols in Iraq. So nobody wanted to go to Iraq at this time, 2009. Everyone wanted to go into Afghanistan because I believe in 2007 or maybe it was 2009, there was a big um, push or, or influx of troops. So okay, I, I just can't, my dates are messed up with, with that sort of stuff. But Me too. bottom line, yeah. everyone, if you were squared away and you were, you were doing well, you got picked to go to Afghanistan. Okay. So, so I got picked. So, in the lead up to it, man, I had a, he's also retired. His name is Herbie Clinton J. Herberson III. Yeah. Um, great dude. Yeah. Man, he was, uh, he was awesome. And he, he had showed up to Fort Carson the same time I did. And for some reason we were in the same flight, uh, and we hung out together. So he, he was my JTAC and I was super fortunate because he had done a number of deployments beforehand to Afghanistan. He'd worked with SF guys before, um, and a phenomenal JTEC. He, I think he was one of the guys, first guys to go through weapon school. Oh, okay. Um, for JTEC. Yeah. Just wow. His accent throws you off. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but incredibly. A Southern boy. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, yeah so he's like, hey, Fullwood, we need to go talk to the, um, the battalion that we're deploying with. And we need to learn their SOPs. We need to figure out who's who on the block and um this is this is what we're supposed to do so that was yeah. kind of like my, my introduction like true integration like hey guys we're going to be deploying with you guys uh what's your sop and sure enough they had a little book of sops and how they ran battle drills yeah and then that um it was 212 infantry um 
they were being fielded. It was a it was an initiative called Lighten the Soldier's Load, where instead of just issuing the because they knew that this um, this group were going to go to the Kunar Valley where it's just mountains everywhere. Yeah. Um, so they're like, was that know. was that unit mechanized or were they light or what? What kind of light infantry? Were they? Light infantry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Light, so fourth ID, um, light infantry. They weren't. Okay. Yeah. Um, so walking, they're on foot or Humvees or yeah, if if you're lucky. Yeah. They, so they'd switch to. You had to walk everywhere, but if they wanted to drive between fobs and cops along the Pesh River Valley Road, they would use MRAPs. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, so they had they started an initiative called Light and Soldier Load. They started getting guys um, the Arteryx knee pads and um, a, a couple like lightweight camping stuff. Um, even though like nobody was camping outside, I, I, I didn't care. I I I still got it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> um, and then, then our uh, Clint called me up on the phone. He said, "Hey, man, me." And so we we would go in um, two man teams, but you know, paired together. So four guys total went to this fob. So it was um, Clint and myself, and then Joel. I think he's still active duty, so I'll, I'll use his first name. So Joel and uh, this guy Gregory Moulton was was our other counterparts, and that we had all decided that there was a vest out there it was acu pattern i've given it away now but it was a lighter vest it was a plate carrier essentially okay so um so we went and bought our own plate carrier and uh and then we headed headed out which is uh, crazy because that it's always been an issue i can't believe it's still an, it was an issue in 08 or 09 but that was it's always been an issue is like body armor and, and personal protective gear not necessarily for army guys they kind of had they kind of did okay it wasn't the best by any means but tech p's kind of had to a lot of beg borrow and steal to get like the kind of gear you really needed yeah they gave you something but it was like is this flak vest really going to do anything for me if i get shot with a you know ak or something no it's not you know whatever but yeah so anyway to your point that it's i hated it that people had to go out and buy their own gear but everybody did it there was there was it run it was running rampant in that in our career field was people just buying newer gear better gear just so they felt prepared when they went down range. But I, yeah. I think, uh, I think it wasn't, it wasn't so much like the cool factor as it was like, you're saying like stuff that'll help me survive a little bit sure. better or blend in or like not stand out. Right. Um, or just something that was comfortable. Like we, you know, you'd walk everywhere. You had to walk everywhere. So like if you're, if you're drained from wearing the RBAV, um, with your, which is like a bigger protect- system, well, I think it was, uh, you know, it's evolved over the years, right? But it was designed to be like quickly uh, taken off in an emergency. If you rolled over and were in water and you had to take it off, it had like a, a lot of uh, plate carriers had that sort of mechanism on it. But like a quick release to get yeah, it get it off, yeah. Mantra and and another guy, um, I'll just I'll use his first name, Adam. He's recently got out of the military, but um, he was also stationed there, and he did a video of him wearing the, the system that we were issued and like pointing out all of the deficiencies. And, you know, I, I was just kind of, it was not the fact that he was doing it, but the fact that he's like, I'm going to, I'm going to fix this. Yeah. So it was kind of that attitude that was pervasive in that unit. Sure. Um, so yeah. So we fly into um, Kyrgyzstan. I can't remember the base that was there. My helmet broke in Kyrgyzstan. Oh. So I had to, uh, nobody had backups, right? So yeah, yeah. 
Clint gave me a, he had a backup helmet that he had gotten in some of those pictures. And I still, I wore, I wore that helmet my whole, every conventional deployment was the one that he gave me. Wow. Didn't, didn't fit quite well, but that's all I had. That's better nothing. Yeah. Better, better than nothing. So yeah. So we, we fly into Bagram from Kyrgyzstan and then from Bagram, uh, there's, a, there's another intermediary between Bagram. I'll, I'll think of it here in a, in a few minutes, but anyway, from there, you have to fly in helicopter at night, um, to Fob Blessing, which was named after a 275 Ranger who got killed by an IED. Um, so you fly in. I remember cause it was daytime. We had our, um, guys we were going to work with meet us on the LZ to help us with our bags. And so we're flying in, chucking bags off the 47 and the Romad. He was a guard guy. Romad grabbed me, helped me with the bags, and I kind of asked him how missions were going. He's like, dude, it's wild, man. I was in a firefight, and I was chucking grenades at people, and I was like, oh, man, what did I get myself into? <laughs> you know, I'm looking around, and there's huge mountaintops towering over over our fob, which is in a, in a low ground right next to the valley. So, yeah, that was kind of my first first impression. They took take us over to the house. It's... um. Afghan made mud. It was it was fairly large, but it was like a it was a mud house mm-hmm. that they that they kept uh, kept all the guys in, and it had uh, what do they call them those air conditioners? Chicos. Okay, they had, yeah. <laughs> they had Chicos the size of your desktop computer. Uh, which they did nothing. One on either end, they did nothing, and it was <laughs> right. the summertime in in the Kunar province. So, uh, yeah, so. That was kind of the first impressions, and I remember, I remember uh, how hot it was in that building. Like you couldn't. I had I had trouble, so I had to like take a cold shower before I went to bed. I had to soak my t-shirt in water, and then put the t-shirt on just to like get some sort of sleep. It was yeah, yeah, miserable. Yeah, horrible, uh, horrible conditions. <laughs> we had, I don't miss uh, that at all. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that kind of you know, that, that set the bar for like discomfort for me. So, yeah, yeah. um, sat phones, we were given, our team was given a sat phone so we could call home occasionally. Um, and those are the days we had, you know, you had internet, but you had to wait in line to, right. to like email. They would have a soldier at the, at the MWR. And if you stayed out the, the fob, the fob went dark, right? You don't want any lights highlighting your position. So if you stayed in the internet cafe, um, which was more than, than most people got because we were at a FOB, not a, not a combat outpost or a cop mm-hmm. or company outpost, whatever, whichever way it goes. Yeah, but if you stayed in, you know, if it, if it got dark while you were in there and you didn't have your headlamp, you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. It was so yep. dark. I always I remember that, how dark you put your hand up and you couldn't see anything and you're like, I'm fucked now because I got to walk all the way back to my hooch <laughs> and I don't know where I am. You have no idea where, yeah, you can't yeah. find it. I, I actually walked out of a hooch. I did that one time and I, I, uh, it was dark and I didn't have my headlamp. I was fumbling with it, trying to get it on, but I was still walking and I smacked right into like a, a Connex box and like, I had to get stitches in my head because, I, <laughs> because I, it was so dark. I mean, like, you could uh, not, you're, like you said, you could not see your hand in front of your face. Nope. Yeah. 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 You, you know, you'll never be in a place darker than that. I think, uh, yeah, it's crazy. So you're just like shuffling, like inching your feet forward with your hands out like this yeah, 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 exactly. they had a <laughs> they had a parade ground just just outside of the 
uh, outside of the MWR and it had a drop off. It had like a three foot drop off into the playground there. <laughs> You'd hear them at night, people with their big uh, cruiser, you know, their saws because they carry yeah, yeah. a weapon everywhere. Just falling off that free, three foot lip. Oh, themselves up, man. Yeah. So, so Clint and Joel and I, we would do shifts in the talk when we weren't when we weren't doing missions. A lot of and a lot of stuff happened while we were there. I, I wrote it all down here. So before before we got there, we heard of Cop Wanat being overrun. I don't know if you're familiar with, with that. No. Um, they didn't do a movie about that, but they it, it was just another one of those in a really poor poor position, advantageous yeah. for the enemy in a low ground, and it got overrun. And that um, location was. Um, you know, a few kilometers from where Fob Lesson was. Okay. So like I, I was pretty cognizant of that. I heard of that story. Man, a lot of stuff happened there in that deployment. Um, Bo Bergdahl walked off the Fob during during that rotation. Oh, off your Fob? That was you no, were there when he did that. Oh no, no, no okay, no, his own Fob. It just, yeah, it just happened while I was there. Gotcha. We were controlling. We had F-15s at the time um, during that a lot of that rotation, but all of our assets got pulled from us. They're like, oh, yeah. there's, a, there's a dust one. I was like, what the fuck does dust one mean? <laughs> yeah, destination unknown. I'd have to look it up. Yeah, yeah. Fact check that. But anyway, so I remember that happening. <clears throat> and the, the, the teams that were there at the Kunar, the FOB, which was, which was seen as really cushy um, for that area, uh, there's three teams there. One team would do a rotation to the Korangal, and then they would do a month there, and they would kind of get rotated out with another JFAT team. And um, there was a there was a guard team in the Korngal when we showed up there. And I, I guess I'll just spell this right now. Me and Clint never never got to go to the Korngal. Something always would come up when it was our turn to go in there. So we, we were close by there and we worked with people that, that did it, um, but never got to go in the Korngal, which was, was a little bit of disappointment considering the, the movie that they made. Yeah. Um, but uh, we would always get picked to do we would clint and i would drive with a with a small convoy to some of the smaller outposts when they needed when they would do some missions uh into the village like clearance operations and stuff like that so we would drive we'd stay the night and then we would walk out with them and then typically they would walk out of the gate and they would walk and just walking 3k through the mountains would just break you off yeah um, man, it was terrible brutal yeah it was that's the worst walking I ever did besides the jungle. Oh the, the mountains of Afghanistan were yeah. horrible. It was terrible. You couldn't, you could never bring enough water. Um, mm, right. So it was so hot. We so were hot and dry and sw- you just, yeah. So, yeah. So you walk all night and, um, one of the, one of the big ones that we did, I can't remember the name of the valley, but it's where operation bulldog bite took place. That's a really interesting, um, operation. If, if you ever get a chance to look at that, but, we did. It was uh, it was both our JTAC teams left out of Cop Michigan or Cop Hunter Miracle. We walked all night, and then we split. Um, two forces split. One went in the village, and then one was in Overwatch. And I was with Clint in Overwatch. Um, with a with a platoon. Yeah, I was the Romad. I was the junior guy. So my responsibility was to be. I, I would get get touched with higher. I would have a, a satellite radio establish our position and then request additional cast assets if we needed it and then yeah. on top of that you know i was 
rifleman wasn't wasn't a very good one but i was a rifleman <laughs> and then i'd have the old one to 50 map that we would we'd laminate before we go out and i would mark everyone's positions so when clint was controlling Cass, and he would you know we would we would just double up i would be listening too and i would be just his backup right yeah like deconflicting friendlies and making sure that yeah you knew yeah. where everybody was yeah yeah so if he had any questions like if they were going to employ which um the the other team which was in the village clearing they got they got not ambushed but they they started taking a lot of fire and uh joel was with them joel and his romad were with them down in the village and joel was controlling um controlling fighters and and cast and belgian f-16s showed up because during those conventional missions you know the whole country of afghanistan was busy at the time so you didn't have dedicated cast assets when you went outside you had to request over the over the jarn joint air request net so yep. that was kind of our response the tough part was remembering what killbox keypad you're in i had no idea i had to do it <laughs> right. where i was at anyway belgian f-16 show up joel does this like really long cast brief because the guys aren't copying or then they're speaking you know their english is i was gonna say yeah there's not was it the language barrier language. was kind of a breaking it down a little bit but some guys had a really hard time. Um, he ended up dropping a bomb, and I. It looked like it was a smoke bomb. You could see it, impact, and then, it literally the shell casing tumbled, tumbled down the hill, and smoke coming out of it. It was really. Yeah, it was the weirdest thing I'd ever seen. And Joel, was it like a dud or something? Yeah, yeah. It was a it was a dud. Uh, yeah. So Joel was like, "You guys got to go." So they left, <laughs> and. Apache showed up. Well, nice. Um, army, the army was controlling the Apaches. I think, yeah, the army was controlling the Apaches. Um, There's weird relationships back then. We're like, hey, this is an army asset, so the army forward forward observers will control this. We're like, yeah, okay, we don't we don't prefer that, but okay. Um, and they were passing them fire missions, and in the meantime, we had called for QRF because the the Joel's force was pinned down, so we called for QRF, and they showed up in MRAPs down the valley, and they dismounted, and they started climbing, started climbing the other ridge line to kind of flank this Taliban team. Um, and part of that QRF were some Marine, I don't know what ETT stands for, but I think an engagement training team, but they'd have small pockets of Marines training Afghans. Okay. They had, had some Marines, and they had reporters with them, civilian reporters with them. So they start um, maneuvering up this one side of the ridge line, and Joel's was down in low ground, and the Apaches are, are doing gun runs uh, around this house, and I'm listening to it on the fires net, and uh, I hear the Apaches say, hey, I got movement on this ridge line. I'm in hot, and that was it, and sure enough, he started, they started, they engaged the Marines and the reporter. Um, coming up this other other side of the ridge line what the hell yeah it was it was crazy i think the army guys initially passed a uh, one fire mission and then the apaches just bit off on the movement on one yeah, ridge yeah. line over moving up hey, i got movement i'm in hot and 30 mike mike shot the antennas off the marines back whoa and then, but blew the blew the leg off the reporter oh my god <laughs> it was it was nuts uh they told him to to cease fire i think they stayed overhead just for noise um but joel and his romad ended up 
helping ca helping carry back this reporter on the litter. Somehow they, I think he ran up to get him or helped run up and get him. And uh, Joel was like, man, the reporter was just like, why, why did you do this to me? I was like, oh man, that's pretty sad. Yeah, it's horrible. <laughs> it sucks, man. You know, you're here to report stuff on Afghanistan and get your legs blown off by. Uh, I mean, it's kind of the nature of the beast, though. I mean, he he had to know what he was getting into. Well, you know, he he yeah. volunteered to go out with. I'm not. It's a horrible thing to happen. But I mean, he's just as vulnerable as all of us. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's crazy that. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if the the Apache, because sometimes they think of themselves as a separate element anyway, like a maneuver unit. So I wonder if they're like, nah, we got this. We don't really need control. It, or I don't know, man. It's weird. It was close. Like it was close. But the the problem was, you know, I, I I haven't lost any sleep over this. But the problem was, you know, maybe the army's the guy who the FO who's controlling the Apaches. You know, he's heads down. He's getting shot at. Yeah. Um, and then the QRF was probably not talking to him on the radio, kind of doing their own thing. So he didn't know or didn't advise him. So you know, a lot a lot of things you can pick it apart. But you know, nobody really lost any too much sleepover. I never heard what become of it. Um, maybe I was just yeah. too young or I, I really didn't care, but it, I'll just never forget, you know, hearing the traffic of the Apache come in and say, Oh yeah, I'm in hot. I was like, Oh man. I well, as soon as you said that, I was like, man, does he mean your ridge line or the other guy's ridge? Yeah. I was thinking that it was going to be your ridge line, which it could have been. It could have very yeah. easily been your ridge yeah. line is theirs, you know? Yeah. Um, but that's the, that's see, that's the issue. And you kind of alluded to it before about how the army, wanted to keep control of the apaches but when you 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 guys are the air you guys are in charge of that airspace so like essentially you probably should have had control of those apaches just be, yeah. just for deconfliction purposes in case clink had any you know fixed wing aircraft overhead he would have had to deconflict those air those aircraft right. anyway so yeah, yeah yeah exactly and i you know i ran into it um we actually talked about it um during my assessment and a oh, we did. Like, yeah, when you're the cadre, I ran into this, a similar situation in 2012. Yeah, um, which ended up going my way uh, in a good way. But so that, that was like my first exposure to real world fratricide, and it kind of leaves yeah. a huge imprint on your mind as the guy who's who's tasked to um, coordinate and sure. and liaise and deconflict and and do all that to keep guys on the ground safe. So that was left a huge impression on me uh maybe more so than the videos they show you in tech school because they you know they um show you all these frat you know fratricide videos i think we talked about it once at work the um uh, again the apaches killing dudes in the in the armored personnel carrier in iraq and shit like that so yeah yeah um so yeah that was that was a that was a memorable mission Let's see there's there's a lot of things that happen that when i look back um I'll tell you, I'll tell you about one instance that I, I wasn't a part of, but I had friends um, involved in it, which turns out they made a movie about the, the outpost. Have you heard of that one? I think I've yeah. asked you about it. Yeah. Um, they had a, they had a platoon from FOB, from the FOB I was at, um, get, get QRF to go support um, cop Keating. That was overrun that they, they made the movie, the outpost about. Huh. They, they didn't let us go. The JTACs, um, I think they had another JTAC team. Uh, my buddy, um, Adam Burns, I remember, can't remember the Romad's name. Um, anyway, they, they got, they got picked to go and help, help those guys who are getting overrun. But, um, that happened while I was there. Cop Keating got overrun, but I remember sitting on the HLZ 
watching that platoon load up on the 47th to go support um, that cop and the, you know, you never really remember what people say, but you remember how they say it. And the battalion commander was given his, his guys uh, put the wood to him speech like, hey, you got Americans out here, just got overrun. You guys are going to go save them. Um, I don't remember exactly the words, but just, just his persona, his nonverbals. Yeah. Man, it was getting me fired up. And I wish I was on that aircraft. <laughs> I was like, all right, I'll go back to my hooch. I can't go. So, um, <laughs> but it's it's uh, um, it's a really good movie. Yeah, it's you weird they it. didn't bring one of you guys with you with them. I mean, it seems like it'd be helpful. I know there was one already in there, but yeah, I mean, why? I don't know. Why it's not? just a different mentality, I think, for the big <laughs> army. Some know the value of a JTAC, and others not that not that they don't they either don't know or i don't know what it is but sometimes they don't realize the the capabilities you know that we, we can bring to them so yeah yeah it's odd how they would ever leave a jtac behind if i had the option i would always bring a jtac which is you know with the rangers it, i it, whether it be us or an army ranger jtac you know it, there was always a jtac somewhere in the mix to, to yeah. control all those fires and I, I, the big army sometimes doesn't do that i think I mean, in their defense, I mean, usually a big army unit has enough organic capability that they can defend themselves, but yeah. they, not always. You know, sometimes it gets to the point where they need some closer support. So, I yeah, uh, I think maybe they feel that the thirteen foxes, the fire observers, can supplement or or for sure. provide provide targeting information. Uh, but man, it was it was hard. It was hard for those yeah. guys. Um, some of them were good. Some of them were really good, but uh, yeah, uh, Operation Bulldog Bite. I keep kind of going back to that one, but it, it's infamous for big clearance operation in, in that valley north of uh, the Peshru Valley, where you know whole squads were getting wiped out. And it, it's it's infamous for uh, the Air Force because they had a PJ and a Crow um, in it faster, but they got hoisted down and they they picked up. Uh, uh, there's a book about it. Um, yeah. by the, by the PJ. Anyway, we can probably cut that one out, but yeah, they didn't have a JTAC and I'm, I'm, I'm asking myself, I was like, why didn't they have a JTAC? It could have yeah. solved a lot of their issues, but yeah. Um, which anyway, kind of goes yeah. back to that, uh, how they're, um, what's the, um, the, the guardian angel tech P what is, aren't they starting to, they're either, they stop that or they, they're starting to, I mean, I know they're trying to put tech P's with, with PJ oh, units or guardian, oh, guardian angel oh. guys. I mean, I just I just saw that on a on the tax text. Yeah, I think they're, they're either trying to do it or they have done it or I don't know what it is, but I think they makes have sense. Slots I mean, open. yeah, they they have slots open, but they've been talking about that since I since I went over to TACP and probably even yeah. before, like putting TACP in rescue units or yeah. Um, I mean, I it'd get, be beneficial, I guess. Yeah, I get air sick, so that kind of dissuaded <laughs> me. <laughs> Get, getting stuffed in a 60 um that kind of dissuaded me yeah um, yeah so that was a big one cop keating happened while i was there and then about the time that we were tasked to go you know there's a potential for clinton and i to go into the corngall to do a rotation there there was a um there was a village that had gotten taken over by the taliban and you know this th that happens frequently but what was important about this village was the so had the, the mayor or the provincial governor had familial ties to Karzai. So 
they sent in America troops, American troops to take the town back. So there was no, there was no fob. There was no cop. It was like a town. Um, and they, they came in, seized some important buildings and were running operations out of buildings. And one of them was a, was a girl's school next to a river. It was like an L-shaped building next to a river. And this had been, they, they had seized, the, the army had seized territory and, and seized a foothold and fortified, I think it was two buildings in this town. Uh, and they pushed everyone outside of town. But uh, they had a lot of issues with snipers in the area. Oh, okay. So uh, Tony, Tony Rios, I think, was one of the first guys to go in help them out and then clint and i were like the the backfill they couldn't they couldn't solve the snipers they had to rotate dudes out so clint and i got flown in that night and the the town was called barge Matal. um so we show up there hey we're in big old rucksacks and we stayed there for about a month wow yeah it was yeah it was um it was a long i thought it was a long time to be living out of a, a girl school um we show up there uh, and then, and then you get three lines of cast every day. And, and, and this was like, this was the hot spot at the time or the, the month or whatever. Mm-hmm. So they brought in, I don't know if they were part of dev grew officially, but they brought in some seals. Um, they had a, they had a PJ with them. Okay. Uh, and they just showed up one day and they're like, Hey, um, we're going to be doing our own thing at night, but we're going to sleep here during the day. Sure enough. Like, <laughs> at, at night they would walk out the front gate and they would I, I was told i never really interacted with it i talked to their jtac a little bit but um they would like hide in houses and try to like ambush folks and then they would come back and sleep during the day huh. uh we did it yeah it was, it was um a little surreal i'm like what yeah they had they had mp7s and uh all sorts <laughs> of crazy gucci gear um they had man and we were talking about that general dynamic laptop that really yep. small one and they weren't using it the jtac wasn't used so he let us use it. it had falcon view on it and we we got flown in um some sort of uh, acoustic uh micro uh, device that that could hear the shots and triangulate where the shot for the snipers oh okay yeah so we would when we somehow plug that into the or we would get the readout and it'd give a range and bearing from where it was at. I would plot those throughout the day, the range and bearings to where we're all we're hearing all these sniper shots. And then, you know, I'd get like a general area. And then when the cast would check on, we just, you know, tr- we try to find the guy, right. But they, they use all sorts of cover and concealment. So we just bomb the hell out of these hillsides. And it was surrounded on all four sides of these huge mountains. So we're just dropping bombs all day on all these hillsides. Nice. Yeah, it was cool. Um, yeah, I spent 30 days there. Uh, we had put tarps all along. There was a hallway. We were sleeping in the rooms. But we had hang tarps up on the hall so the snipers couldn't see us walking to and forward. But they'd still take pot shots. And they got almost got one of the seals that hit like a post behind them and exploded the wood. And <laughs> we're all laughing. God, that had to be nerve-wracking, man. Yeah. For like a month, you're just like, uh, you don't even know when they're going to shoot. Or, I mean, just the whole time it was like yeah. that? You wouldn't, you wouldn't go, you wouldn't go in the open. Yeah. You would, you'd like, yeah, you'd have to stay behind the tarps. That was it. And oh, that's the funniest part. So like, um, 
there's the they had a bathroom, but they don't have bathrooms in Afghanistan. It's literally stalls with holes in the floor. Sure. And, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but there was a there was a gap um, that was open between where we were kind of obscured from the sniper to the building. But there's a wide open space that you had you had to literally like run in between, or you get to, to take a shit. So, um, jeez, yeah, for for a month. Um, <laughs> God. Yeah, we would we would get rocketed all the time. Um, RPGs. You get. And snipers were the worst thing because you'd never know. Sure. Um, but the the PJ who was with that SEAL team, we were getting shot at one day, and he was like, I don't know what he was doing, but he had his suppressed weapon, and he was uh, sitting behind some cover out in the open. He's like, oh, I think I see him. He's just dumping shots in the Still mountain. Shooting. With his, yeah, with his M4. I'm like, I don't know, man. Uh, <clears throat> and it, but, uh, it didn't stop after that, I assume. No, no, he he didn't uh, he didn't have an effect, surprisingly. <laughs> yeah, but but they had they had little um, fighting positions on either side, and you know if you got bored while you're there because you, you know, you're not going anywhere, right? So you kind of sit in the fighting positions, and you you'd have a spotting scope to see if you can see anything. And one of the one of the army guys, uh, he's like, "Oh, I think I see him." I was like, "Man, you're full of shit, dude." Yeah, big old explosion next to the sandbag next to him. He's like, "Yep, I got him now." The the army dude didn't even move. Had a huge explosion in the sandbag right next to him. He didn't even flinch. He's like, "What is it? A sniper bullet?" Yeah. Hit, yeah oh, okay. Sniper, yeah. I was like, oh, "He's like, oh, I got him. I got him." Jeez, <laughs> steely-eyed killer, man. Yeah, Good like, lord. Man. Yeah. I was like, "What the fuck, man?" Do you guys uh, take him out? You never know. You never know. Oh, like, okay. Yeah. Uh, I don't even think he had a gun. I think he just had a spotting scope and was like looking for him. It, it was very oh, okay. surreal. That's um, crazy. They brought in uh, Latvian JTACs. They brought in Latvian snipers to do like counter sniper stuff. Um, I told you one of the one of the Latvians got shot. He got as he was getting medevaced. His buddy was laying down suppressive fire in some random direction. He yeah. got shot in the ass. Oh my god! Came out his dick. So he got, oh, that's he right. Got, yeah, he got oh. he got put back on the he got put back on the helo with his buddy. Uh, people are just screaming. Oh, oh no, it, yeah, it was, uh, yep, yeah. I, I sorry. Let me back up. <laughs> <clears throat> we're we were just sitting in the fighting position. I'm on the spotting scope, looking. I don't see anything. I don't know what I'm looking for either. I'm just looking. Sure, there's people. Uh, Dan, the Latvian JTAC takes my spot in the fighting position and is looking and you just hear a shot and you hear Dan screaming. He was the guy who got shot, broke his, got shot in the collarbone. So we're medevacking him out and that's when his buddy was laying down fire and got shot. Laying down fire. He got shot in the ass. Jeez. And it was, it was madness. And you'd, you'd hear cause you'd have interpreters with you and they would tune into the Taliban's channel and you can hear them um, talking about overrunning you or having fire bombs or, mortars or uh real coreless rockets shooting at you so it was wild um it had to be like i said it had to be just nerve-wracking just like on edge all the time like you know because you don't know i mean yeah it could be bs or it could be real you don't know so you have to take everything seriously i mean man yeah. oh man you, you and you felt really confined like you didn't want to go out in the open because you thought you were going to get shot um sure. people did get shot um, and, but there was a unit, the guy owns, I try, I reached out to him when I had Instagram, 
he has a t-shirt company. I don't know his name. I don't know who he was, but I know that he was part of a platoon that got brought in there to help do missions at night as well, kind of offset the seals. Um, everyone in that platoon had a purple heart and everyone uh, would not leave their sleeping quarters without putting on their uh, ballistic vest. As I wouldn't do that, but they, they would, man, they always kind of stuck with me, but um, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. It was a, it was a trip for, for 30 days. You're just like trying to, trying to kill these dudes, these snipers in the Hills and stuff like that. And eventually we just left. I don't know if we got them or not. We just, well, I mean, it, unless you just carpet bomb that whole area, there's really nothing you can do. I mean, th those guys have the advantage of, you know, just taking a shot and then moving and taking a shot. Yeah. You'd never find out where they yeah. were. Yeah. And they, they could, yeah, they could see shadows through the tarps and they knew where you were. You didn't move. Um, right. So we did actually carpet bomb the place when we left. Nice. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We had, uh, we got a B1 and I think we dropped like 10 bombs, seven or 10 bombs all through the mountainside and took off after that. Nice. So, yeah. It was cool. So that, and this was all your first deployment. This is yeah, all. My, okay. <laughs> yeah. That was my first, first deployment. And, and uh, I'll be quite honest. Like I was kind of, um, did you have how many more conventional, do you have any more from this deployment that you want to talk about or no, I, 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 I did almost get out though. It, it was a uh, Clint who, who let me control as a romad let me control airstrikes as a romad like literally you have those scenarios where oh my radio went down you have to control yeah, yeah. and shit literally happened like he was his radio went down so it was in those instances and then barge metal i got to drop drop bombs as a romad nice so that's what kind of kept me around in the career field like motivated me to stay in i, I was going to get out i had i'd been accepted to Colorado State University, and I've been accepted to another university in Charleston. I was going to go to ROTC, but um, decided to stay in because because of things I got to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I did I did two more conventional rotations. I did a, a little less than a six month in Farah Province, which was a I was I was there as a new JTAG. It was kind of a real big snooze fest. Um, not uh -huh. much going on in in the in the Western part of Afghanistan. So I did that for about five and a half months. And then the last conventional deployment I did was a nine month to Fob Joyce, which is, um, it's South of Asadabad. Okay. Um, so that was, and that was in the lead up. So that was 2012. That was kind of in the lead up to put in my package. I had a, I went in there with a plan to take the nine months to get in the best shape of my life. I think I was 24 at the time. Nice. And, and that's what I did, man. I, I, uh, we would pull top shift or there wasn't a lot of outside the wire missions, but if there were me and my Roma and I would, would do them. I did two. Yeah. I did two air assaults, which were like really big missions. Yeah. I brought a, I brought a different Roma each time. Um, but one of the pictures I sent you was the first air assault we did. Uh, we were providing sort of um, s supporting. We were providing support to the Afghans who were doing like a vehicle clearance through this through this village. So at okay. night, yeah, we got we got dropped off, um, scattered throughout the hilltops surrounding the valley that they're going to drive through. And during the night, we we got dropped a pallet of sandbags and we built really tiny fighting positions. Yeah. Yeah, and as soon as 
as soon as the daylight hit, the Afghans were getting lit up. And we were told, you know, wait until they asked for help. We wanted them to kind of fight through it and stuff like that. But it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, an hour into it, they're asking for help. So yeah, tens on station, just doing gun runs and dropping bombs on the hilltops. Dudes are firing the uh, 50 cal on a tripod. I don't think we had mortars. <laughs> it was, it was pretty badass. But so just like Clint taught me, man, I had my, my Romad kind of double checking all my grids yeah uh, he was great justin jackson was his name anyway um we we would alternate between a10s coming on station i had a b1 at one point on station didn't drop with them uh and then apaches they would kind of alternate um and at one point towards the latter half of the day we were there all day man, all yeah. day just getting shot at and that's when um that was the first first time that really sticks out my mind of being physically shot at um okay we were in just a small uh it was like maybe three sandbags high as best we could do because everyone had to share the sandbag oh yeah um (laughs) so you hear the uh the buzzing that was that was the first time really because i didn't get shot at very much my first or definitely not my second deployment um so that was kind of perched up a little bit oh man they're shooting yeah i bet uh yeah so like they know where you are and you know yeah you're not going anywhere either it's not like you can kind of move and advance the enemy you're on a hilltop yeah uh, sitting there so uh yep so air aircraft um a10s check off apaches check off to go get fuel and they go as a two ship so as soon as the apaches as soon as you can't hear them anymore um Un- unbeknownst to us the enemy it's it's hard to hard to articulate over over this forum but the enemy had been moving throughout the day up the hillside to, to flank my position oh, the, okay. army, the army had started to retrograde back because we were prepping for prepping for exfil in the evening yeah. so there was a large group of dudes all around me um kind of prepping for exfil but the enemy had been moving throughout the day unbeknownst to any of the aircraft or the uavs that we had and they uh, they set up like an ambush position, probably like less than a kilometer. I, I couldn't tell you how because I never saw them. But yeah, all of a sudden, man, I just hear the, the crack, not the buzzing, but the cat, 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 cat. And uh, man, but I couldn't. Um, there was there was too many people in front of me to like like return fire because there's just tons of joes everywhere. Yeah, uh, so I was just trying to make myself small. Um, right which is which is never never what you want to say but I, i'm not going to start firing into the crowd of these army dudes yeah yeah not, i mean for sure oh, man i'm not going to get not going to hit but i hear you see guys just running with the with the 50 cal skidded up on tripod and just laying waste and uh and i'm i'm not screaming but I, i'm over the fires i'm like troops in contact or troops in contact anyone with troops in contact, and they and they hear me at the refueling point i don't know how they did it but yeah. then they come back around and A10s were, were on their way, so we just start hammering the the hillside. But that was um, that was the first time I'd been ambushed, and and here here in the crack when that's when you know it's pretty close. So yeah, so did you end up uh, taking the the threat out with the Apaches or yeah yeah so yeah. and I think about this a lot. Um, what I was taught at the 17th. Um, 
and kind of passing that knowledge along. I, I did things sequentially. I, the A-10s would come in and I'd have the Apaches hold off somewhere safe and they would drop mm-hmm. bombs or they'd do a gun run. And then I would switch and I would have the Apaches. But you know, as you know, you, you don't have to do that. You're like, you can, right. you can integrate, put some parameters in there and, and do some combined attacks. Yep. Um, coordinated attacks, excuse me. So um, I just didn't have the knowledge at that point to do that. So sure. I was just trying to be really safe. But yeah, I, I think... Um, Which is, there, it's no hit on you. You you have to control to your uh, skill level. You know, that's and you that's what you did and you were effective and it, it worked out. Um, you know, as you learn later on, you can, there are different things you can do. Which is, I think now, I think that's kind of what it used to be. I think now everybody is kind of getting that knowledge, you know, like you yeah. said, like it, we're starting to proliferate that between, amongst the career field and we're all kind of, and and to be honest, there's a lot of guys out there, a lot of conventional dudes that I've run across that do know how to do that, have been doing it a long time and just can, they're just like the cast experts, yeah. you know, it's a, I, I, I'm not, I didn't, I didn't mean to imply that like the soft community has the, you know, um, is, the can do that on, is the authority on, yeah, they're not on. the authority on, on, on coordinated attacks or, yeah. you know, and stuff like that. I mean, they've conventional guys have been doing joint air attack teams since, you know, the eighties. So, um, but anyway, to your point, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's just a lack of knowledge sometimes when you, it, when you're out there, yeah. It was, and you know what? It, it, it's it's free to read about in the in the J Fire, right? <laughs> right, it, right. Been there exactly. Yeah. Never, maybe you never, because we never uh, we didn't work with helicopters that often. Yeah. I don't know, but yeah, that'll always stick with me. Is like you kind of replay stuff in your head at random points, you know, For in sure. your life. You're like, yeah, yeah. I could have done better at that. So, um, anyway, yeah, we 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 stopped the threat. Nobody nobody is shot. Um, nice. They were, and they were chucking, chucking grenades down the hillside. I don't know how close they were, but close enough for to throw grenades. Wow. Um, um, and then, so you radio back to the battalion commanders like, "Hey, we we got to exfil these guys. They're just hanging out on this hilltop." And somehow they got approval for like a daylight exfil. Um, so we, yeah, the sixties land and exfil everyone. I was pretty excited. I, I didn't want to hang out there anymore. <laughs> but I'll bet. Yeah. yeah, just kind of. Yeah, the, the Afghans had left like hours ago. Oh, really? Yeah, they were like, "Fuck this, we're we're out of here," and they turned around, and we're just like, just sitting out on there the flapping, top. man. Yeah. So, um, I, I was I was the only one in my in the group of six who who was fortunate enough to be able to do that one, and another um, air assault. It kind of in the same general area. Um. But yeah, once again, you know, the, the Taliban, whoever they were, would, would they would sneak up on your position all day and get within hand grenade range. Um, on, on the second air assault, uh, you know, I saw for the first time Kiowa pilots leaning outside of their um, helicopter and shooting with their M4 into the wood line and shit like that. So, nice. Yeah, that was, uh, that was pretty cool. Um, what else? Oh, man, so not to, not to downplay this at all, but August 8th, 2012 um major gray was killed and he was yeah. he was actually flying out and coming to see us oh really yeah yeah he was coming out um that was a crazy phone call we knew he was coming and he was with you know a lot of top brass the sergeant major of that brigade he was incoming brand new he had just gotten in country and was doing yeah. like a battlefield tour and, and they first stopped in Asadabad and the fob there and they did it every day you know at the same time every day they would land there and they would walk in the open we, yeah. were, we were waiting on them to come and you heard the news that they had been ambushed 
with uh, two people. A couple guys got uh, medals, medals of honor uh, out of it. But. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, the the SAS were doing a mission out of our. They were using our FOB as a staging point, and they had their command team and with them. Uh, or I don't know. Oh, they had a PJ team. So the PJ mm-hmm. team got launched in response to that. In, in response to that, so they. And oh, when okay. they came, yeah, when they came back, so I still hadn't heard any news when they came back from that and they were kind of recouping. One of the guys saw me staring at him because I knew he was there rescuing people. I was like, hey, did you see, you know, you see an Air Force guy? He's like, well, everyone I touch, man, they're still alive and kicking. So I was like, all right, cool. So we still mm, hadn't heard man. anything at that point. And then our yeah. um, our flight chief got us up. On, he, you know, called us on the phone at the desk and said, hey, get everyone together. And we went in the conference room, and uh, and they told everyone that we we lost a lost a good tech P today. So it was fucking surreal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that sucked. Yeah. I, you know, immediately thought about his kids. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah, and he was a he was a good one. I don't know if you knew much about him, but I didn't know I didn't know him at all. <laughs> um, but from the guy, guys that I knew that knew him, spoke very highly of him like he was like just a great guy i mean yeah just awesome guy just a nice dude you know goes to bat for guys just a, yeah. a straight up you know a, a great leader yeah he, he was yeah it was, that's what we're super disappointed about was he he was a guy who could have made big changes because he thought of he was for the for the boys as they say yeah yeah um in a good way so uh yeah it was it was a huge loss um and it it messed up a lot of people in different ways. Um, mm-hmm. The flight chief, I won't, I won't say his name, but he really, he, uh, in my opinion, he shut down, you know, we still had a, still had the rest of the deployment to go. We needed some leadership and he kind of shut down and the assistant flight commander, he went by, uh, he's still active duty. He went by peaches. He stepped up in a big way. I think he was an ABMer. man. He stepped up in a huge way, made sure like he, uh, brought the people together, um, and uh, we were just over, out, just impressed, unendingly impressed about his ability to step into that position, that huge hole, and and you know, bring what he bring what he could to, for the guys. So yeah, um, yeah, it's a tough time. I mean, you never know how people are going to react to, you know, the guy that kind of broke down and kind of withdrew. I mean, they probably had a good relationship. You know, they probably had, they were probably tight. And he, I mean, losing a buddy, I mean, we've all lost buddies, you know, and it's just, it hits people differently. And, and yeah, there's nothing really you can do about it. I mean, there's, you can't fault the guy for the way he acted. I mean, it's just, that's, you never know how you're going to feel when you hear that news, you know, so. I think but good was, for that other guy too that stepped up. I mean, that yeah. was, you know, it's, it's good to have, you know, a guy that can fill those, fill that, that void. You never, you never imagine that you'd be in that situation, but yeah, he he rose to the occasion in, in a big way. Yes, yeah, I, I think it. Um, I think initially it's easy to judge someone, but you're right. Yeah, the flight chief, he was, it was flight chief, flight commander. You know, working as a team together, spending time yeah. together, he knew. So yeah, and we were too quick to judge. I think. Yeah. Well, so. I mean, here's the thing about it is you have to. I don't think it's um, in your guys' defense. I mean, you are in a combat zone, and you're like. I got it. We need, we're having a hard time, but we need to focus on the mission, you know? And, um, so it's, I could see both sides, you know I mean? I can, I can understand how both, both of you 
you know both sides would react in the way they did but yeah it's tough man i mean that's war like like i, I, I just it's so easy to say but it really is true that that's just the way war is i mean you just it affects people differently and there's different things that go on and you just it's uncertain and you know you just kind of have to have to keep moving uh, you know so you don't you don't have a choice yeah right exactly yeah somebody you have to do something i mean you can't all just break down or you can't all withdraw so yeah oh yeah um yeah i think those are like the those are the things that really stick out to me um during that deployment we they they minimized i think i did a couple oh that was the deployment before but yeah yeah those are the big ones for 2012 nine months is a long time uh yeah not like not like john um (laughs) <laughs> yeah what, what, 15 15 month deployments i think he stayed even longer or something like that but nine um, months is a long time I and mean, that's like that's i mean especially if you have kids and a family and you know what yeah you're taught your intermittent you know uh emails back and forth or maybe some you know a sat phone call doesn't fill that that void right. that you left you know that that's too long i think i mean i don't understand why we with guys through that i mean i know nine is not quite what the army guys are doing they were doing like you said like john was doing 12 and 15 monthers but yeah that's just seems crazy to me it just it seems too long i and number two i i'm a firm believer that their battle fatigue sets in you know like you like you can only go 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 for so long before you start getting complacent or you start getting you know careless or whatever it is i mean i, I just feel like not that anybody was, and I think that's a testament to like the army guys that were there and you guys that were there, is that yeah you, there there is a tendency to do that, but they still stepped up and they still completed the mission. I mean it's just the American fighting person. I don't want to say fighting man because there's fighting women too, but the American fighting person is is just so a force to be reckoned with. You know for yeah. that reason. So the the but ability I think it's to on, endure. I think it's on the leadership yeah. to like recognize that they are go 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 all the time and just say okay let's give these guys a break let's make it six months or you know it's it's definitely i don't know like you said you got to keep going you have to do it but yeah i think the leadership would do a little something different to make them so they don't have to do it you know i i can kind of see the perspective though it's like you know it, it says something to like know your area know the lay of the land understand the local populace like and as you constantly sure. rotate people out like you, you kind of lose that so to the to the detriment of the the people that are that there that I see. I the see it. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, and and you. But at what cost, though? That's yeah. kind of my point. You know, like, it's like yeah, you you're an expert in that in that area because you've been there a year. Yeah. But then it's like, what about this guy's personal life, or what about you know? Or, Fuck I know. it. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. We're here. To, if they we're... wanted you to have a family, Matt, they would have issued you one. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Uh, so anyway, yeah. okay. So that was your that was your last deployment. Uh, as a okay. conventional guy. Yeah. And then tell me about that. So tell yeah. me that transition from the out. conventional world to soft. Okay. Uh, where to begin? The hardest, <laughs> I, I'm going to tell you the, the hardest part. And I learned this phrase yesterday, uh, self. Now I'm going to fuck it up. I'll, I'll, I'll think of it in, uh, a little bit. Anyway, my, my biggest hurdle to um, transitioning or trying out for soft was the written package. I drug my feet. I sat on it forever. And then this was kind of revealed in the uh, personality test with the psych docs as well. Like I just had a lot of self-doubt, self-limiting um, behaviors. I had self-limiting behaviors. That was it. Okay. Um, so the hardest thing, and, and it was Peyton, or it was my wife, 
to it's like, hey, finish it, turn it in. You know, yeah. I was already self-selecting and it, it was her pushing me to do that. Got it in and then I got accepted. That was the first phase, right? And then the second phase was actually going down to Herbert Field and, and doing the tryout. Um, and I went down there with a buddy of mine, Scott Andrews. We were both from both from Fort Carson. The dude was a physical specimen. Um, mm-hmm. His life was working out in CrossFit. Like he didn't care about anything else. Um, yeah. So, and that's where I met you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Please. Yeah. You. Let's uh, let's hear about it. <laughs> I don't know. It was. It was. It was. Uh, it was a. I think it was a very well run. Uh, selection and assessment program you you do the intelligence test uh you do your psych psyche valve you we stand up in there in blues um and whatever answer we gave you it was the wrong one no matter <laughs> how you spun it uh <laughs> the one thing that really stands out uh, i kind of made an ass out of myself we were doing some sort of uh physical iteration with the hum- pushing humvees and stuff like that and we'd finished up mm. And man, I can't remember that guy's name, but he was, he was a special tactics tac P versus some of the other folks, the majority of the folks that were uh ranger, ranger tech P worked with. The okay. Regiment. You know what I'm talking about, but he, he had said, he had said, to her, and I was feeling really good. Like I had physically prepared for nine months before this. So like, um, I'm not tooting my own horn here, but physically no. it, it didn't, it didn't set me back. Like I was never, I never to the point where I was like exhausted or didn't have my mental faculties about me. Yeah, yeah. But he's like, yeah, nobody tried out for, or nobody said that they want to do SD tech P. And I said, well, no one really wants to work for the B team. And, uh, and I didn't know he was <laughs> yeah. an SD tech P. And uh, he looked at me sideways and I was like, oh shit. Uh, you was, said this during the, the assessment. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I was <laughs> an idiot, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's not, uh, not smart. Not optimal. <laughs> yeah. Evan came up to me the next day. Uh, and he's like, Hey man, you're doing good. You just need to like be a little bit more humble, buddy. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, got it. Uh, oh, Gabby, Gabby was there. Gab. Oh, okay. Yeah. He was a, what a character. Oh, uh, he's the best. I'm sure people tell tons of stories about him. My, I only had two interactions with him and he was, he was a cadre at my selection assessment. And, uh, I just remember, I don't know what it was for the extended, extended day of training or, or smoke session. Uh, he had put on a hat and was yelling and acting crazy in the dorm room, trying to get everyone up and out there like super early, like two o'clock in the morning or something like that. But yeah, he was always intimidating. You guys were all very intimidating, right? Um, I'll never forget. So we did the 12 mile ruck. We knew it was 12 miles. You guys didn't take, take our watches away, but I didn't use it anyway. Yeah. But at the start, JT at the start of the ruck said, this is an individual event. Thomas, not. not Taylor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. JT was the J uh, Tom. I think he was a retired chief. I want to say, but he was the he was in charge of the whole incessant selection. Like he was the guy. He was the he ran the whole thing. Just to so to clarify, so people yeah, think he was. For, for yeah, yeah. yeah. Thanks. Uh, He's a good dude. Great, great, great guy. Awesome dude. I I came back as a cadre a, a few years later, and I got to chat with him on a, on a different level. You know, yeah, it was, it was nice. Super laid back, just great dude. Yeah. Well, he, he said this is an individual event. Uh, you will not go back for your teammates. Um, oh yeah. And I was like, okay, well, uh, those are the instructions. So we take off, and and um, yeah, 
finish. And a few guys who had finished took off their rucksack, hydrated and ate, and then started to go back for their teammates. And uh, and I didn't. And me, me and a couple other guys didn't because I was like, well, he told us not to. He told us not to, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'll get to that part later. But anyway, we uh, <laughs> somebody looked in our rucksacks. And the day before, and I'm really jumping all over the place, the day before, in the packing list that you guys gave us, which was it was probably just a generic packing list from all of the selections, but it had yeah. fins and a mask. Well, no, none of us had fins, but we, we were given masks. Mm-hmm. So the the class leader had asked the day before, hey, do we need to keep this in our ruck? And you guys had told him no. But then he came back to us as a team and said, hey, we better just keep it in there anyway, just because. And yeah. I think it was Evan who found it in there. And he said, <laughs> I told you guys, you didn't need this. All right. And he got pissed. All right, everyone put your mask on. So we just ran 12 <laughs> miles with a ruck on. Everyone puts their mask and then he fills up the mask with water. And then we walk over <laughs> to a puddle. We start doing low crawls through a puddle that was over our back. It was, yeah. it was cold. I think it was January or February. It was yeah. miserable, man. And then so <laughs> tacpees are not known to for being comfortable around water or having water right, in their right. nose. And it was some guys are like, I can't breathe through my mouth. And they're just losing <laughs> their mind, man. Yeah. Uh, miserable, I'm sure. Miserable. And then you, and I kept putting my muzzle in the dirt. And you, for some reason, singled me out. And, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. And uh, I had muzzle in my, or had muzzle in, or dirt in my muzzle for one too many times. You made me do eight count bodybuilders with water in my mask. And so I, that, that was always, my impression but but uh yeah you didn't like you didn't enjoy that that was not fun for you i you know i didn't have my muzzle in the dirt ever again well so maybe that was my biggest thing and i to yeah and granted we were trying to get you to remember stuff like that but um that was one of my biggest things because that was always taught to me like i like my from the time i was a, a young airman like muzzle awareness was always the biggest thing you know like if you because if you have dirt in your muzzle it's not gonna fire and blah 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 so, yeah. and then you kept doing it. So I was like, why are you doing it? Yeah. And, and I know the impossibility of the whole thing. Like it was just, you know, having to be in that situation. That's the last thing you care about. Like that's, who cares about this muzzle? Like, I'm just, I know it's a rubber duck. I know it's not real. Yeah. This sucks. Get off my, I know you're probably like, just get the hell off my back. You know, yeah. Just leave me alone. Yeah. Uh, no, was, uh, yeah. Looking back now, it's, it's really funny, but. Man, this I'm sure it wasn't funny at the time, yeah. No. <laughs> but so we, we get through all that. We go back, get our rucks, and and, th- and then we go back to the um, to the gym to, to get smoked some more, I assumed. But uh, you stood up in front of everyone. We all we were all on the turf field. Get ready. And you stood up in front of everyone. And you're like, who raise your hand if you didn't go back for your buddies? Raise my hand. And you're like, Fuck you. I'm like, God, oh, man, he's right. <laughs> Fuck me. I was like, that. just sort of the mind games uh, that I, that I, it's just stand out. Those are the things that really stand out. Yeah. I, I, I get a lot of grief. Like, I, we've talked about this a lot. I'm not um, trying to give you grief so, or, or anything. No, else. for people that, uh, you know, people might think that you're, we, you and I have talked about this a lot. And at the time, like, I was always, I, the mindset I had, just having been through, similar situations you know that i was using all that as experience for that right mm-hmm. um but then also uh i was always the guy like I, I, and i've told you this several times 
if if you can get if you keep going if you just as long as you don't quit like put whatever we put you through i'm like i always voted everybody up like as long as you didn't like i was never i never got to the end it was like yeah he got he did it all but you know forget that dude i was like man they 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 endured this whole process and they didn't quit and they did well yeah let's go and then so i i always felt bad for guys that didn't make it after that they completed the whole assessment selection but there was some little thing that that the rest of the cadre didn't like and they would vote them out but but yeah, yeah. I mean, it was. It's. Uh, it's supposed to be hard. It's supposed to be uncomfortable. So, and you, I crushed, man. I mean, that you obviously made it, and you know, it yeah. didn't. You didn't let. You didn't let it bother you. So that's good. Yeah, I didn't let you saying "f you" to me <laughs> throw me off. Uh, no, it was. It was. I think it was good for what it was. The JT was running so many selections, and he had a formula that worked. But you know, just like everything, it continues to evolve. And yeah. um, I don't. I don't have any. I don't think I knew. I must not have known that JT said that to you or something. Or did you think, did I know that? Did I know he said, don't go back I, I and pick those guys up? You, you couldn't have known. You couldn't yeah. have known. Yeah. I don't think I would have done that if I'd have known. Because no, I, no. I definitely wouldn't want to go against JT. I mean, I would have been like, whatever, because he was the man, you know, like yeah. whatever he said, go. So I would have definitely fallen in line with what he said. So, yeah, there's some miscommunication. Someone else, uh, it must have been Evan, but he he kind of revealed some of the conversations that you guys were having <clears throat> as cadre um behind the scenes and maybe you talked about it but uh you they said that you were personally frustrated that uh people he, you thought people were sandbagging on the rock yeah you're like man when we did it we would dump oh, out yeah. two court go for broke dump out all of our water and uh yeah and try and if you weren't first, you were last, or something like you know something to that effect. It was a technique. I mean, uh, yeah, I I got brought up from guys like Kenny Lindsay and uh, you know dudes, and even Q. I mean, the, the, these guys when we did road marches, it was like you ran the whole time, and it, yeah. your water actually, if it's a twelve miler, that was a sprint for us. I mean, that was like you you dumped your water out because it was just going to weigh you down. You know, you tried to you tried to be as light as possible, and. Um, you know, it's just it's just different ways people have brought up. You know, I I you guys were conserving your energy probably for whatever was next. Yeah. Um, uh, whereas we were just like just cr- you know you just try to crush everything. Oh, so yeah, yeah, it's a different yeah. mentality, different different way. Yeah, yeah. I, I will say like um, having been on both sides of it, <clears throat> you guys have like a big responsibility because um, you're changing people's career path and, and lives. Yeah. So um, I didn't recognize that until I was sitting in your guys' shoes a couple of years later. But um, yeah, I got the, I got the good news at the end of the, the selection. Um, man, man, I was, you'll, you'll never forget that feeling. And, yeah. and Scott got picked up as well. It's like, it could have been super awkward because we had both flown there together. Like if one had gotten oh. picked up and one, but, but you didn't have to worry about it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. 